0: Thank you for this worship this morning, Lord, for those that have contributed, and even our hearts and our voices, our minds. Lord, it is a powerful thing to come into your presence, be with your people, their stories, their tears, their joy, their laughter the generations before them and if you tarry the generations after them, our hearts are full. They're full with some of the things that we've just confessed. They're full with the faith that we've just affirmed. And Lord, we have sung of deep truths and rich wisdom that you've given to your people for thousands and thousands of years. And we're the recipients being on this side of the resurrection of your son, Jesus. It's a powerful thing. Thank you. Lord, we pray for some of our folks here. Many of them have uh, a transition coming up with the end of school and what that will entail for a summer and a new age of maybe children or maybe responsibilities or however that is. Lord, I pray that you would give them peace and hope, and as some are taking exams, and uh, some are thinking about paying for uh, college, and all of the different things that go on, Lord, provide for us. We know that you do, and you will, so calm our hearts, Lord, with our families. We know that there are some in our families that are struggling, maybe emotionally or, or mentally or physically or spiritually, uh, or maybe all of that at times, and it's heavy. We have people on our hearts whom we love, and you are, for some reason, uh, allowing them uh, to go through a very difficult season. Lord, I pray that you would bring joy and contentment into their hearts, knowing that you are the goal. You are the the prize. And so, whatever you ordain for us, we'll we'll trust you, but be with us. Don't leave us. Don't forsake us in those dark hours, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would indeed heal and encourage many. Lord, we also pray for our brothers and sisters, but just also those who are in Ukraine and in the surrounding nations. Lord, this is a hard thing, and we just pray for your goodness and guidance and give us the ability and wisdom to know how to respond and how to pray. Lord, we've been thinking about some of what we saw in the video and then what Jack mentioned, the trips this summer, and the ways that you'll uh, move in our hearts uh, through those folks going and the way that when they come back, we'll, we'll be a different congregation for some of the things that they have experienced and seen and engaged in. So, Lord, we, we pray for them. We want to send them off even to Greece, but also the youth to Chattanooga and other trips and folks that will be going on things that aren't necessarily just church-based. We pray for those times of ministry uh, with, with one another. And, Lord, now open our hearts, Lord, that we'd see uh, this passage, that we'd see your word in such a, a clear and uh, important way, Lord, that you have at our Uh, our best at our our very core of our being. That's what you want. You want us changed. You want us grown. You want us redeemed and delivered, and you've done an amazing work to get us this far, and we do not take that for granted. So thank you for your word, and thank you for the peace and the hope that it brings. We pray these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we are in. Psalm 121, Uh, this morning, the Songs of Ascent. Uh, There's 15 pilgrimage songs, Psalms 120 to 134. It was appointed by Yahweh, by God, our covenantal God, uh, the Lord, to travel to Jerusalem to the tabernacle, uh, in this time to the tabernacle, soon, once Solomon comes on the scene, eventually it would be traveling to the temple. But that's where God had promised his people that he would dwell. Three times they were supposed to go up annually, one for the Passover in the spring, and then Pentecost in early summer, and then the Feast of Tabernacles in the autumn or the fall. It's, it's widely accepted that these pilgrims would sing these songs, these songs of ascent as they headed up to Jerusalem. No matter where you came from, you had to go up because it would be, it's low-lying all around Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be the highest city in Israel. And so you were going up to, to the mountain and you were going up to meet with God. There are five books in the Psalter. Uh, you probably know that, but O. Palmer Robertson has helped me kind of delineate what the importance of some of those are, and this is one man's work. It's in his work, The Flow of the Psalms. So book one is uh, Psalms 1 to 41. Book two, 42 to 72. So you've got confrontation on the front end of that, then you've got communication, and then now in 73 to 89, devastation. And then 90 to 106, maturation. So people are maturing and they're growing in this. And then book 5, 107 to 150, it's consummation. It's putting it all together. And this is where we fall today in Psalm 121. There's four Davidic Psalms uh, in this, 122, 124, 131, and one. 33. There's one psalm of uh, Solomon, 127, and then one that specifically refers to the time when the people would come out of exile, but then there are some that are written by some folks that we don't know or exactly when, but the heart comes through it. The desire of these psalms is the same, to get to the Lord and to be with Him. Let's read Psalm 121 The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love a good shortcut. Walker, my oldest, uh, and and me, we took a uh, 13-year-old birthday trip. I've mentioned it before, but I haven't quite mentioned this angle of it. When he turned 13, we biked 50 miles, and we paddled 50 miles on the French Broad River. And what we did is we kind of, we set the shuttle. So we dropped our boats off at, right around the Asheville Airport at the French Broad, dropped them, locked them up in the woods, deep in the woods, and then we drove our car to the takeout, where we would take out the boats, and that was in Bernard in North Carolina, up in the mountains at section nine of the French Broad, and we left our car there. We got our bikes out of the car, all of our gear, our camping, and all that stuff, and we pedaled all the way to back to the airport in Asheville. And it was it was it was a great thing. I, I looked it up online. It's wonderful. You've got GPS, but you've also got Google Maps and all the different things that you could possibly want. 62 miles was the, the route that they encouraged you to go on by bike. So that's a long way. But I found one that was 50 miles. 50 miles. Oh, and now it was a shortcut. It was a little bit of a shortcut, but I was excited about that. I I had grew up cycling, loved it. My son, he was a good, good cyclist and we were, we were set to go. Well, what happened is that those shortcuts proved to be some of the hilliest terrain in the North Carolina mountains. You saw this coming. I feel confident, uh, 9,000 vertical feet later, uh, 5,000 feet more than we should have or needed to climb, uh, we got to our boats. And we may have hitchhiked a couple of times uh, therein. Uh, His mom does know, so that's okay. But the point is, there is no shortcut for discipleship. There's no shortcut for discipleship. There's no shortcut in some other ways too. But a pilgrim, if we think about these folks that are going up to Jerusalem, they're pilgrims, they're disciples. We might call them more disciples now on this side of Jesus, but they were pilgrims. And pilgrims would be people who spend their lives going somewhere, going to God, whose path for getting there is the way. We would say the way is Jesus. The pilgrim has the focus, the end Destination. That's what the pilgrim has in mind. Now, a disciple, those would be people who spend our lives apprenticed to the Master. They, they, the Master being Jesus. They're in a learning and growing relationship always. They're not looking for info about God, they're looking for skills in faith, in life. And so the disciple does have the end in mind, but that he knows until Jesus comes, His life, this life in this world is important. And the only way to get through it is with Jesus, in faith in Jesus. That is a little bit of the difference, the nuance there. So how do we do discipleship in an instant society? right social media everywhere i mean if if you're watching a show and it's on a, channel, a streaming thing and you click on that and it doesn't come up in the first like three seconds you're ready to throw your remote at the tv right it's like oh my goodness are you it should be up by now buffering what is that that's like juno uh, and then and so we, we go to these things and we get really, really hot about it. Eugene Peterson asks this. He asks us to kind of ponder this as well. He has a book on the songs of ascent, very helpful. And he says, following Jesus can never turn into a long obedience in the same direction without a deepening life of prayer. That the Psalms have always been the primary means by which Christians learned to pray everything they lived and lived everything. They pray over the long haul. He actually got this concept from Nietzsche, who in 1907, he wrote a book beyond good and evil. He says, "...the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living." So in, a, in an instant society, in a, in a shortcut prone society, myself included all of these things, we have what comes into our sphere here that discipleship can't be shortcut. That it's, it's hard. It's a long road. It's filled with uh, trials and it's, it's filled with pain. It's filled with grief because of loss and all of the different things in our lives. It's really hard. And so the idea I want to think about is pilgrim, disciple, and then the idea of a tourist, right? There'd be no tourism in Christianity. And I know there are a lot of tourists in Christianity. I get that. And a tourist may be someone who has a lot of concerns, a lot of doubts, can't quite get there with God. If, If God would allow this, or, or this? I mean, you don't even know what he did in my family one generation ago, and so that affects me radically. If you knew that, you'd probably be like on my team. Like, I don't know. I don't know how. How can God allow this to happen? Uh, maybe there's such doubt because of some things that have happened on your own. Maybe you're in middle school and you're like, "There's no way I can get through middle school with just Jesus." Or in high school, or maybe in your marriage, or maybe in your family. You might feel on your own in a lot of these ways. We need a protector. We need a helper. We need one who will persevere for us on our behalf when we are not able to persevere. Since God is our guardian, we'll look at that in a minute. We must remember that God will keep us perfectly. He will keep us perfectly. There's two points today. Here's the first point. Since God is our guardian, we must not be afraid of the concerns that we have in our lives, in ourselves. One of those concerns is, hey, I'm all alone. I am all alone. I don't care what you say, Mark. I am all alone. Well, let's look at the the psalmist a bit and let's see what... Uh, he kind of brings forth out of this. We're just going to go through this uh, a little bit. Psalm uh, 121, this will be one, the second part B. He asks, from where does my help come? And in this psalm, we're going to look at kind of the inverse of this song. He's thinking correctly as he's writing this. So let's look at the inverse, and then our second point, we'll kind of look through how this benefits us, okay? So the concerns that we could have in this psalm, the inverse of this psalm, 1B where's my help come from? Two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Yeah, well, he didn't care about me. (laughs) I'm the tiniest thing going on right now, and he didn't have time for me. I'm all alone. Three, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Oh, yeah? I mean, it's my second hip replacement. Uh, this is uh, my most catastrophic thing. My son was kicked out of college, or I have sinned greatly, and my marriage is in distress. It'll never be the same. You don't know, Mark. God doesn't know. He clearly was asleep at the wheel. Uh, 5A, jump down. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Doesn't seem to be keeping me right now. I mean, we're in a financial free fall as a family. The inflation has just done a work. I don't know where you are today, but you really may not feel like God is your keeper. And I think the psalmist understands that. Sometimes we write these positive things out of where we've been, where we are now. Look at 7b, the end. He will keep your life. And then he goes on. The Lord will keep your going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So there's there's an opportunity here to look at the hills and the mountains that are referred to at the beginning uh, in a couple different ways. So one could be, is this where robbers lie in wait? Uh, The travel up mountain, right, is is hard and it can be lonely. Uh, So if there's two kind of uh, allusions for this, there were the high places in the Old Testament. So if you're reading through our journey through scripture with us, you've seen this a lot. There's 78 times in the Old Testament where the high places are mentioned. And so these are places that would be up on uh, the mountain where the Canaanites, there at that time, would worship other gods. And they would commit acts of debauchery and cultic prostitution. And then God's people, when they were entering the land, were told to destroy those high places, but they did not. We'll get to the second allusion of the mountains uh, in in just a few minutes. But just think about As you're reading through scripture, right? We're we're David. We're in David's kind of era right now. And we're in Samuel. I know we read a couple in Chronicles, but we've read some Psalms too that he wrote. And if you've read those, you know that he feels all alone. He feels all alone at times. He's got 600 basically scoundrels with him out out in the wilderness, out in the desert. 200 of those we find out later are worthless fellows. Right, he goes to Gath. That's in uh, the Philistine area, and he acts like a crazy man to the king, uh, Achish, uh, the king of the Philistines. And, and and he, I mean, he just he, he, he pretends like he's crazy, has a spittle running down his beard. He is feeling all alone. There is no one with him. He is in hiding. He's moving in caves and in in parts. And the king is after him. And even Saul gives David's wife away, the wife that he won. I know, this is is terrible, right? The wife that he won from Saul by defeating Goliath. Saul takes her and gives her to someone else while he's on the run. I think David feels all alone. And maybe you feel all alone or you felt all alone. In 1986, uh, I got into cycling on the road. I mentioned that. 1990, my dad actually went and worked in Belgium uh, for a long time. And I got to go over for about three weeks and spend some time with him. I got a URL pass, as many of you probably have done, and traveled kind of all over. But I was also there during the Tour de France. And that year, I got to see Greg LeMond, uh, the winner from USA, right, win. I got to see him twice, once in the countryside and then once in Paris. And Greg LeMond won in 90 hours, 43 minutes, and 20 seconds. It's a long time on a bike. This past summer, 2021, a professional cyclist, uh, Lachlan Morton, he's Australian, He, one hour after the Tour de France left, and all 184 uh, of the official starters crossed the start line, Uh, Lachlan, then he crossed it. An hour later, crossed the starting line. In his quest, he called it the Alt-Tour, to ride all 21 stages of the route, plus the 1,300 miles of transfers between the stages. Now, racers, they would just use their buses, right? Uh, They they were not riding those stages. He rode those in in between stages. This was a fundraiser for him for World Bicycle Relief, donates to folks in need around the world of a bicycle. Lachlan carried his own gear. He camped alongside the road. He prepared most of his food. He did his own repair, repair. And he still beat the tour to Paris by five days 3,424 miles 219,262 feet of elevation gain Yeah, okay, sorry, I had to do 5,000 extra (laughs) That's That's not that much 255 hours, seven minutes on a bike Zero rest days 350 miles was the longest day that he had, and he estimates that he burned 17,000 calories on that 20 hour ride. He got five to six hours of sleep, had nine flat tires, and he raised $700,000 for this bike relief. What if you had to be perfect? What if you had to obey the law like Jesus obeyed the law? It would be crushing. Okay, maybe that's just too esoteric. What if you had to do what Lachlan Morton did? What if you had to beat the Tour de France riders to Paris by five days? I mean, me, I'm saying no way. It would never happen. It would never happen. I bet a lot of you, maybe not all, are saying it would never happen. It's so much. That's, that's what the law is. If, if we have to be perfect, if we have to obey the law to get to God, we don't, if, we, if we say, I don't need Jesus, I got this, the only way is crushing defeat. We will never have enough in the tank to get to God in and of ourselves. So our concern here that, man, this is so hard, I feel alone. Well, we, we, have, we have an option coming. We have Jesus coming. We're going to talk about that. Let's go to the next concern. My life is a mess. Mark, you don't even know me. I've created most of the mess. I am a disaster. Let's look at 4. Uh, 121, 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Yep, on those, on those that one day that my whole life went sideways, God was asleep at the wheel. 6. The sun shall not rise and strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Maybe you just feel like you've been, you've been beat up. All hours of the day and night. You can't get any traction. And then down again to seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. You know, I think David might have said that his life was a mess too. You know, on the run from Saul, we've got David's wife, Michael, who's, right, uh, taken away from him, as I, as I already said. But she puts a household god in, in, in bed with goat hair uh, to try to distract Saul from seeking David's life. Now, that means that she had a household god nearby. I mean, this is Saul's daughter. Uh, things in Israel weren't going great. Your life might be a mess, but this was a mess, too. And the hope is, is that we don't uh, put anybody up on a pillar uh, except for Jesus. And so we have to be honest as we're reading through scripture and saying, okay, what's going on here? We got David's wife, Michael, given to another man. King Saul was told by Samuel, he, which Samuel was told by God, that, that Saul should destroy all of the Amalekites, right? Saul destroys. This is 1 Samuel 15. Saul disobeys concerning the Amalekites. He saves Agag, the king, right? And some livestock. And Samuel comes and says, what's the bleeding that I hear in my ears? I can hear the livestock from here that you have kept for yourself. Uh, Why have you done this? And he says, no, wait, I, I did obey. I did obey. And then he says, well, with the livestock thing, I really thought, you know, God, I can get all these animals and we can sacrifice them. It'll be great. God will love it. And Samuel says, no, you haven't obeyed. You disobeyed God by doing this. Did you think that sacrifice would be better than obedience? And then Saul says, actually, okay, I take all that back. Actually, the people disobeyed. And he lies again and again and again. And then Saul can't get God to answer him about what war he should go to or not, right? And he goes to a witch, a seer, uh, whom Saul banned from the land because God had told him to ban it. And she recognized him, but still conjures up Samuel, right? Tells him again of the sin of the Amalekites and that the kingdom has been ripped from his hands. It's going to be given to a man after his own heart, David. All right, spoiler alert on this. All right, so later in the book of Esther, right after the exile, uh, people are coming back. We'll get to that toward the end, very end of the Old Testament, right before the New Testament. So, but there's a villain in that story, Haman right? And he's called an Agagite. Uh, maybe he's a descendant from King Agag, uh, who Saul took captive and didn't kill all of them, right? And so maybe, maybe this is part of that, what we're seeing fleshed out. Down the road, hundreds of years down the road, still the Amalekites are not killed the way God had told them to be killed and punished for their sin, Maybe another, maybe another concern for you beyond that I all, feel all alone or beyond the fact that uh, surely my life is too much of a mess, but maybe it's that God's just too busy. He's too busy for me. Look at 3B and think, he who keeps you will not slumber. Yeah, but, but I'm not that important. I, I do feel like God is probably a little bit more important, has other people in mind. Uh, and 4 Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's right, that's right. He's got a whole big nation to take care of. There's no way he's caring about this one individual guy. But that's the serious mistake that we can make. It really is. Saying that God doesn't care about me and that he's not here, our spiritual temperature, our waxing and waning that we do in our life of faith won't affect God's presence, right? It doesn't affect God's presence or his love or his activity in our, in our lives, Right? That's why he sent Jesus. He knows we're sinners. That's why he sent Jesus, to redeem us. And for some reason, he didn't make us just all perfect and end the show at that point. The curtain didn't come down. So, he's got more work to do in us. And that's the the pilgrim, the disciple mindset, that this is a long obedience in the same direction, the direction to God. So if that goes from the the, the greater to the lesser, if he is concerned about so many things, it makes sense that he would also be concerned about the little things too. We'll look at that in in just a minute uh, as well. Let's go to the second point. The second point, since God is our guardian, we must remember the benefits that we have in Christ. One of those benefits is sight. So even I look Lift my eyes up to the hills. Uh, we see that. We know that it, I'm not just talking about physical sight, of, of course. But that Hebrew word, word, then that root of that word is guards. So he watches over. He keeps. He preserves. So I, I get guardian. That's where I got guardian from. So six times in 121, it's that word shamar. And that's that Hebrew word for guard, to help, to keep. It's the same Hebrew word. We can translate it in different ways. Uh, translations as well. And think about that. Think about the difference between the armies encamped on the opposite side of the Valley of Elah from the Philistines, the armies of Israel, and they have Goliath coming every single day out taunting him for days and days and days, taunting because they they just don't want to trust God, that one of their people could go take down this giant. They're not going to do it. And for some reason, the whole crew doesn't just rush the thing and, and, and do it. I don't know why that is, uh, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. But David, he's like, what? He's going to taunt the armies of the, of the God? He's like, oh, he goes get five, five smooth stones, right? Takes one in his sling, takes, walks up, hits him right in the forehead, cuts his head off, and that's it. It's a little, you know, PG-13 or, or then some. There he is. Sorry, folks most people know that. Uh, But uh, that's the one. David is trusting in God. And that's who guided the stone. The main character in the story of David Goliath is God because he's the one that redeems. He's the one that moves. He's the one that acts on your behalf in the big things and in the little things as well. So when we get to this Song of Ascent, I mentioned there's the twofold illusions that we have. One some bad high places up in the mountains. But also, this, we mentioned that we're to go up to the mountain three times a year and to see God and to meet with Him then in the tabernacle, soon to come in the temple. So, what are the benefits? Benefits of sight. We know that God has to open our heart, open our eyes to see Him in the scriptures. That's a big deal, but that's one of the things that the Spirit does. That's one of His major roles. Another thing is answers. And you can think, yes, I want answers. I love answers, just more answers. I need answers. Well, when we look through this, uh, we see some things. Let's just pop through this again. uh, 121, 1b, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I don't think it's so much of a perplexing question, more of a rhetorical question that he's asking. And that answer gives him full assurance, full assurance that the covenantal God uh, Yahweh, that word is used three times in this psalm. He's talking about the covenantal God, the God who says, I will hold up your side of the covenant and I will hold up my side of the covenant. The one who's not gonna leave us, the one who's not going to forsake us. This is the God that's in view here in this psalm. And in four, it says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is a shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon By night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Sometimes we even need a guardian on this earth. I think David got a little bit of that sneak peek with Jonathan, uh, Saul's son in there. I think that was a big boost to him. And so you may have some sort of a, a guardian, someone that really cares deeply about you that is living uh, you know, with you nearby or a friend, uh, maybe a colleague uh, that's happening. And that's, that's a big deal. That's a really big, generous thing that I think God gives us. He doesn't always give us that one special person. It might be a few people, but it might not be, and He might be calling us to depend upon Him in those hard moments. So Psalm one twenty-one. It's an exposition of Numbers six. If you think way back, that was a long time ago. If you're reading through, uh, but that was the ironic blessing. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The keeping, the guarding. The, the having presence in your life, activity in your life, not leaving you, not forsaking you. So obviously, he's our uh, protection, he's our guardian, he is the answer, but he's also our helper. Uh, that's a couple of times in Genesis, you've probably remembered that, the uh, Lord makes a helper for Adam, right, Eve? But he uses that word in, in the Old Testament more times than just with Eve. Uh, he uses that twice with Eve about a woman, and then every other time, is about just basically about himself and how he is God's help. He is the people of Israel's helper, how he is their comforter. Think about the Holy Spirit to come. He's our helper, right? Paraclete, Uh, these things. This is it. This is one of the big benefits that we get of Christ in this, of our our presence through the Spirit with God. We can't guarantee our safety, right? COVID happened. We definitely had some unfortunate deaths and some things like that. You know, even in our spheres and our circles, it was really hard. Uh, But there's an ever-expanding circle of promise that God gives on your life. He, He says that he, your foot, very personal, very individual, he, he's awake, right? He keeps Israel. Bigger. Getting bigger. Not just your foot. He's awake. He's out there with Israel. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't need sleep. Think about Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. This is, this is powerful that he goes, that she goes to God and begs for a son. And God gives, him a, gives her a son, Samuel. And this man rises up. It's just, it's a powerful way to see that God is our helper when, when we are in those darkest moments. Um, uh, Think also about David, maybe in the cave of Adullam. The first time that uh, he spares Saul's life. Remember, he's taking a potty break in the cave. And he goes in there and David cuts off part of his robe. I think the restraint that David had in himself is very respectable. <laughs> I, I don't know uh, that I could have had that restraint. And the restraint to hold back his men that also wanted to kill Saul. This happened again, I think the second time that it happened, right? They stole, stole, stole Saul's spear and water jug to prove that they were right by his head and did not kill him. That's a, that's a big deal. The fact that God is our helper, helping us to restrain when we want to do things, maybe that, that God is not calling us to do that he's actually telling us not to do. So there's there's good benefits that we have in God being our protector, our guardian, our keeper. He's also our helper, but he's also the maker of heaven and earth. So this psalmist is looking past the hills. He's looking at the omnipotent God. He's looking at the God of the universe, the one who made all of it. And then if he reasons that you have made everything, you have the big parts but also you have the small parts as well under your control. It's an easy matter for you. I went up. uh, I did not go up. Walker and Marshall went up in an airplane yesterday, two different airplanes. It's over at, uh, uh, down at McDonnell Douglas. Oh, let's see here. uh, Come on, somebody help me. Where is that? Donaldson. Yes. We'll we'll get thank you. Everybody. Everybody knew it, but I was hearing a lot of stereo going on. Uh, So Donaldson Center. Yes. Thank you. So they go up in two planes. They're trying to attract young people into aviation and things like that. But it was all, I was standing my, across the street neighbor is a plane builder and he builds small planes, some of the planes that we were going up in. And he was telling me that in order to be a plane builder, you have to build 51% of your plane, right? And so in order to do that, then you can perform the once a year annual uh, inspection of that airplane. The thought is if you've done that much work, then you know where every rivet is and all of the issues that are in the plane. You know all about it. Uh, and that's 51%. You might think, like, Ooh, that's, that's not that much. But I kind of get it because you're probably working with somebody else, the other 49% as well. So it's hopeful. But just think wow, what if God had you 51%? I gotcha, 51%. You, you might feel that way. But I don't think so. I think God has us 100%. He, he's not going to let anything happen in your life that's not best. For you, That's not a, the best fit for you. It's hard to hear because I'm sure you're thinking, wow, how was that, 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 and that best for me? You might know some answers and you, you might not. When we think through some of these things, we think about how God was so good as a helper. He's so good as a stabilizer in us. The fact that he won't let our foot slip uh, or, or, or pass on those things. That he's alert. He's awake. He knows these things. He's the shade at our right hand uh, like, like has been mentioned uh, before. There, there was something that I was thinking about with this Lachlan Morton and the, the cyclist that rode all of those miles. And I was reading another article in, in another magazine and it was about these uh, 300,000 smugglers uh, that are known as coal bars. And that's a Kurdish word. Uh, coal is back, bar, load. So kind of back, load, think about that. They haul millions of pounds of contraband every year from Iraq, Iraq, to Iran, over the 14,000 foot peaks of the Zagros Mountains, more than 50 men, these are almost all men, men die, Uh, they're either shot to death, killed in accidents, freezing to death, and then when they might get to their destination, they might be arrested and imprisoned. Uh, The loads are usually up to like 100 pounds, right? More than 15 miles, crazy elevation gain, might be a 70 pound air conditioner, washing machines, televisions, refrigerators, tea, cigarettes, uh, uh, pet food, beer, whiskey, lingerie. The secret shopping list of the entire nation is on display. Again, when I think about this, my first thought was like, I will never take Instacart for granted again. No. So they got Instacart, but it's uh, a lot more uh, trafficking involved. How much do you think they get paid for for a load that they take? Fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. $15 $15 for all of that work. And if that's if they stop at the Iranian border, if they go over the border and beyond that, then they might get 20 to $25. The Iranian parliament estimates that there's about $25 billion worth of smuggling that happens in one year. They wrap them up in this orange kind of tarp to keep the dust out, the water, the rain out, and they're traveling through land that has landmines in it still. Uh, There's active snipers in that realm. Why do they do that? Well, that's how they're providing for their family, and that's they love that area where they've grown up in that part of the world. Think about our, our own fears and our own doubts and our concerns and how they can be crushing at times. And I think when we, get to, when we get to the cross, when we get to Jesus, and, and you know this, he, he takes those burdens off of us. He, he takes that burden off. So I don't know what you need to give him by way of a burden from yourself this week. But I bet you do. I know I do. I can think of a few now. But give them to Jesus. And, 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 and let's start giving even some of those concerns. Name those. What are my doubts? What are my, my main concerns with why I'm hesitant? Why I just kind of want to be a tourist around Christianity and not be a disciple? I mean, it's scary. You might have to be like, I don't know what you think, a religious fanatic. Or you might have to be so reading the Bible every moment of your life. I, I don't know what you think. But it's about, it's about walking with God all through life. And it's so hard to do that without God. It's so hard to live life. I know many of you have done that. I have done that. And I wouldn't go back. So what we have here is, is a beautiful picture of what we should be doing. Remembering, not forgetting, choosing to remember the benefits of Christ. The benefits that he gives to us in Jesus. That he's our helper. He's our protector and preserver, our keeper. He will not let us go. He will not forsake us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace that you give to us so freely and energetically, Lord, that we can trust you with all of our life, all of our comings and goings from this time forth and forevermore. So not only do you have us now in this life, but our real joy, our real hope is looking at the life to come. So if we don't get to travel as much as we want or we don't get to do this and that or the other thing as much as we want to, we can hold on because you've got us. And it's gonna be so much greater than this life and this world. So give us hope in that. Help us to follow you because it is hard. You are mysterious to us, but we're gonna trust you. We're gonna take that next step. And we'll do it today by your grace, by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen.